Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to finish it this morning. Chapter 4, that is. Not Ephesians. But you already knew that. Ephesians chapter 4. Bottoms willing, we will make it through. I want to start in verse 17 this morning, and we will read through this passage one last time together as a body before we make our way into something else. The Apostle Paul says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with a greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of, tr- of the truth. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This morning, I want to start off by talking about the grieving of the Holy Spirit. I know, I know all of you are OCD, just like me, and the thought of skipping over verse 29 is giving you anxiety already. The word grieve in verse 30 is lupio, it's sadness or grief, a deep Physical or emotional pain, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that level of grief, but this is what we're talking about, the Holy Spirit physically feeling pain. Now, it was used in, in the, the grammar in a president imperative tense, which, and it's preceded by this negative particle, which is a, a weird way of basically saying that this is both an immediate and an ongoing command, as if Paul was saying, don't start grieving the Holy Spirit. Stop grieving, or don't start it. Now, bear in mind that Christians are being exhorted here. You see, unbelievers are the ones that can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers are the ones who can resist the Holy Spirit. But it is the believers, which we are told in Scripture, if you were to do the study on this, it's the believer that can quench, and it's the believer that can grieve the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're talking about. Now, I start with verse 30 this morning, um, and I want to just sort of explain why. The New American Standard, which um, is my preferred translation for study and for reading, for all things, really, because of its normally, um, normally its literalness, um, appears to have left out a word in English. And that word is and, which 
attaches verse 30 to the previous verse. The implication is that it's the unwholesome speech out of our mouth that is actually grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, some get around this and they say, oh, well, we're talking about grieving the Holy Spirit in the greater context of the surrounding verses. It's just verses 25 through 29, and I think that's absolutely true. In fact, I would have taken even a step further, and I have no problem preaching and teaching a more general sense of don't grieve, because I don't believe it's only our tongue that can grieve. But I would be remiss... If I did not tell you the truth and be fair in this, and so that obliges me to tell you that in the context of Ephesians chapter 4, what Paul is specifically exhorting the church to not do is grieve the Holy Spirit by the unwholesome words that proceed out of their mouth. What is the big deal? Maybe nothing. Probably nothing. Clearly, I'm overanalytical. But since you hypothetically asked, Every word is inspired and profitable, right? Even the little conjunctions and particles like and. The point is, if we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, then we need to know what it is that grieves Him. Now, as I said, I don't think it's unfair that there are probably many things that grieve Him. Certainly our Gentile-like behavior of the verses that were lifted, listed above and that we've gone over the last couple of weeks would grieve him. But I want us to remember the immediate context as we look at verse 29. Now, I don't know about you, but there are many, but as many passages as there are in the Bible that refer to the tongue and talk about our speech, you would think that I've mastered my speech by now. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. That's just like a run-on sentence, just needle after needle. Ouch, boom, you're just getting a fluster of punches in the back. I don't know if there's a more convicting verse toward Eric what it would be. Firstly, what is edification? Now, edification is a compound Greek word. How many of you eat yogurt eat, eat yogurt or drink it? There's a yogurt brand. You may have seen it. I think Kroger has it. It's called oikos, right? Anyone seen that? Familiar with that? It's a Greek word. Anyone know what it means? <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, all right. No, it does not mean yogurt. <laughs> In Greek, it actually means house or home or dwelling. You're eating house yogurt. I don't know what, why they named it that, but I want you to make this little connection in your mind every time you go in the yogurt section. Hopefully you think about this word, edify. House. Oikos is a Greek word, house. Dome is the second part of it. Oikodome. It actually means dwelling or roof. So this compound word, edification, means house dwelling or house roof or building up of someone's house. Now, I don't know about you all, but I am really good at demolition. I love it. It's fun. Construction work is great. I love working with my hands. Truthfully, I do. But there's something fun about swinging a sledgehammer and knocking things over. I don't know if you've ever had the experience to do that, but I know that we all have with our tongues. You see, the Bible's instructions is that we're not to rip off shingles. 
we're to be building roofs over people's houses, oikodome. Build up of each other's house. Put a roof on top of someone's house. You say, well, wait a second. In order to, to build a roof, aren't we, if we're replacing shingles, shouldn't we be taking off the old shingles? Don't add to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say we're replacing roofs. He says, I want you to build up a roof over your brother and sister in Christ Jesus. See, we sort of think with our mind that sometimes if we just sort of tear down a little bit, we sort of give them a little bit of feedback and construction criticism. As long as we build them back up, it's okay. We're replacing the roof, right? But see, the Holy Spirit does not say that through the Apostle Paul's writing. We are not replacing roofs. We are building them up. Brand new roofs. We're building a structure over top of the temple of the mind. That's what the Apostle Paul wants us to do. Edify each other with every single word. And if your words are not edifying, then what you're doing is adding to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about words. Only those that are good for edification. Ecclesiastes 10, 12 says, Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each other. Grace and salt. Now, it should not come much of a surprise to believers that we are forbidden from speaking vulgarities or slanders or obscene words. One of the very first things that um, often will happen with um, new converts is that they will catch themselves speaking words that they know they should not speak. In fact, I've been around many people who do not profess Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and when I get around them, unfortunately, they'll say, excuse my French, or they'll apologize for saying a word, and it's so bizarre to me because why don't you just not say the word if you know that it's going to offend some people? That is, though, after t- oftentimes after you come to Christ Jesus, there's this sort of struggle to retrain your brain to, speak, to not speak words that you used to speak. We know as believers that those are off limits. There's certain words, right? But see, this verse is not just condemning those words. It's not just forbidding dirty speak. It's actually mandating uplifting speech. I don't know if that hits you the same way that it hit me when I was studying this week. Let no unwholesome word, but only those that are good for edification, proceed out of your mouth. Only the words that actually build up a roof over my wife's temple should be ever coming out of my mouth. Perhaps it's just me that needs to hear this this morning. Maybe it's only me that has a tongue problem. I don't know. I'll preach to myself. That's fine. Maybe I should just turn around and ignore y'all. Just talk this way. It's awful quiet in here. This passage is telling us that if the words you speak don't edify, they're unwholesome. Literally, they're rotten. The word is rotten. It's the word that's used to describe a pile of rubbish, decaying flesh and fruit. You ever been around this decaying chicken cut a chicken and you leave in the trash a little bit too long? That's what your words are. Let no rotten word come out of your mouth. Let no, see, anything that's not edifying or building up a roof over someone is actually considered rotten, according to the Holy Spirit. 
So often we sort of draw the line that in the sand right up to sarcasm or vulgarity or sass or some, some like words that hurt, right? We just sort of say, well, as long as I don't hurt their feelings, I can say what I want. I can be silly. That's how I think, right? As long as we're not hurting them and tearing them down, tearing off those shingles, so to speak, that we can say what we want to say. But objectively, and I say that because Again, I'm preaching to myself here. That is not what the verse says. It says that if what I say does not actively build that person up, then I should not even speak it. Yikes. Let me give you a few examples of needless words that are forbidden. Just this week, I came home late. I got home, and I had let my wife know. I thought I was doing a really good job because she often likes, you know, text me when you're on your way. I said, you know what? I remembered. When I get home, there's going to be dinner ready for me on the table. I said, I walked in the door and I said, thanks for making me dinner. Needless words. Or how about this one? As I glance around the the room, the, the mess on the floor, I like what you've done with the place. Or what have you been up to all day? Were you planning on doing some laundry this month? Thanks for clearing the counter. I can almost see it. Needless words, rancid words, corrupted words, worthless words. Good thing you got that college degree. You're putting it to good use, aren't you? Nasty words. I started running the, the water in the shower the other day. Brittany comes into the bathroom and says, are you going to take a shower? I said, no, I'm just going to warm up the pipes. <laughs> Worthless words. See, we, we can laugh about these things, right? Sarcasm. That's just a, a glimpse into the oh-so-hilarious mind of Eric. Needless, unwholesome. See, God says to me this week as I'm studying, Eric, all those things that do not build your wife up in that very moment only tear down. The scriptures say, let no unwholesome, or more strongly, do not allow any unwholesome word to proceed. That means that we must actively guard our tongue. You can walk around with duct tape. What's wrong with him? Oh, he's got a tongue problem. He's just, leave, give him a while. It doesn't matter. Just grab some clothespins. Do what you got to do, right? I just watched my tongue act as way. I got to guard it. You know, you got to do what you got to do. I'm not going to judge you if you walk in here with a whole bunch of duct tape and clothespins on. It's fine. How do we control our speech? Well, I think one way that I'm hoping, again, this is active and fresh to me, that I'm going to learn and retrain the mind of my tongue is on what I'm thinking on and dwelling on. Philippians 4, 8, 8 says, Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart, says the Amplified. Dwell on them. We often have said, garbage in, garbage out. Unwholesome in, unwholesome out. 
Let me again give you the glimpse into the hypothetical, of course, mind of Eric, just for illustration's sake. When in my mind I'm constantly criticizing thing and I justify it because I'm simply just trying to improve the recipe or improve the work that I've done or the outcome of the events, what do you suppose is more likely to come out of my mind? See, our thoughts affect our speech. When in my mind I really only care about my child winning and I'm not really interested in the life lessons and the fun that they're having, what do you think is more likely to come out of my mouth when there's a loss. See, our thoughts affect our speech. When I think of my needs and and my wants, but some unplanned responsibility gets thrown my way that I wasn't prepared for, what do you think is going to more likely come out of my mouth when I have to change my schedule around? See, our thoughts affect our speech. And that is that when my mind dwells on the negative things, when I dwell in the land of criticism, when I dwell in the land of perfectionism, of of competition, of selfishness, of pride, fill in the blank, your mouth is going to follow your mind. That is the part of the reason that God tells us to dwell on good things is so because of our tongue inevitably following the things that we dwell on. What should be on our minds? Encouragement, positivity, blessing, respect, peace. So that's when it's on our mind, our mouth has an easier job of doing the right thing. This must sound absolutely hilarious to Brittany if she's able to listen to this later, that I could stand up here and speak these things out. And I remind you that it's not me speaking these things, it's the Holy Spirit by the grace of God. She's probably gonna ask me later, Eric, did you learn anything today? I'm a hypocrite, church. I'm a human. Believe me, it's not the things that I'm preaching. It's the Holy Spirit through me. Pray for me. Pray that I would be the husband that God desires me, that I would be able to implement the truths that I find in these scriptures, that we would speak things for the need of moment. Oh, church, there's much that could be said about the timing of our words. Does my wife need to hear about how messy the house is the moment that I step in the door? We need to consider the timing. Does she need to hear how dry the chicken is before I even take a bite? Consider the timing. Do my kids need to be told how disappointed I was in their behavior as I'm tucking them in at night? We need to consider the timing. How about my child as he steps on a Lego and he's crying in pain. I told you this is why you ought to pick up your toys. Consider the timing. There's so many examples. I could go on and on. See, we're talking about not grieving the Holy Spirit with our words. See, it's not that we have to abstain from fornication or adultery or addiction. He's saying it's your tongue that's going to grieve him. It's not on the flip side about how much time you spend in the Word and in praying that you're going to impress the Holy Spirit. It's our tongue that grieves Him. God is interested in the words that proceed out of our mouth. Why? Because it points others to Christ Jesus. We ought to be building each other up. And it's not just within our family. It's not just Brittany and my children. It's not just my father and mother. It's, we're talking about setting an example for the world that people are attracted to the honey proceeding from our lips.
And it gets really important here if you want to turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, in case you weren't feeling convicted enough, I want you to follow along starting in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Pretty straightforward. Teachers are responsible for the words that proceed out of their mouth. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Find me somebody who's perfect. You're going to find someone who has perfect speech. You say, oh, well, that person's really arrived. Let me spend a day or two with them talking behind closed doors and see how well they've arrived. Verse 3, now if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us. We direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. The analogy in comparison here is that our tongue can literally control the destination we head, spiritually speaking. The tongue, think of it as a rudder. Tongue, think of it as the bit in the horse's mouth. You pull it to one side. You speak something out of this way, you're going to steer your whole body will follow. You speak something this way, the rest of your actions will begin to follow the things that your tongue is speaking out. The rest of five. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles, of creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Freebie here for you. There's only one race. It's the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, watch this. We bless our Lord and Father Sunday mornings in church. We sing worship and praise to Him. And with it, we curse men and spouses and children and fathers and mothers and co-workers and bosses behind their backs who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives and a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. You see, the problem with our speech is that when we speak cursings out of one side of our mouth and blessings out of the other, nobody's going to want to drink from that water, that fountain. No one's going to want to be around you. We're talking about walking the way that we should walk as converted Gentiles, no longer as them. Walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Set that example in purity and love and in grace, seasoning your speech with salt so that the world will be attracted to you and that the curses coming out of your mouth will no longer be repulsive. Silence them. 
Church, I confess that I have an untamed tongue. I want to repent of my sin. I just wonder if anyone will join me this morning. See, this isn't just about making a happy wife. This isn't about setting a good example for my children. This isn't about honoring my father and my mother. This is about causing Yahweh God sorrow, grief, physical and emotional pain. By whom, let's not forget, you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit of God. It should be obvious in this particular passage that the Holy Spirit is not a force. The first clue we have is that it's a He. You're sealed with Him. But you can also cause Him grief and despair and sorrow, which is really a personality trait. It's very clear to me that the Holy Spirit possesses personality God sealed you into himself for a future day of redemption, and this is the reason that we ought not grieve him. So that we don't have to carry around this treasury of all these curses and all this sorrow that we're causing the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God has a plan to call you into himself and redeem you by his very own blood. One day we're going to be glorified. I hope that we have mastered our tongues by then. See, the words that we speak intimately affect the Spirit of God. I'm not sure if you're getting this or not. Do you know that what you speak has tremendous impact on God Himself? We need to let that sink in. We have power of life and death in the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. Power of life and death. Do you want to speak life? Do you want to speak death? Do you want to speak blessing or do you want to speak cursing? Do you want to edify or tear down? Do you want to build roofs or do you just want to demolish? I don't know about you, but I, for one, don't want to be a death speaker. How's that for a title? Hi, my name's Bob. I'm a death speaker. A what? Oh, nothing. It's just that my talent is proclaiming death, announcing ruin, declaring destruction, broadcasting demise, expressing murder, tearing down, communicating darkness. See, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, our speech is a matter of what's inside of us. But you know what else Jesus says? That where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Wait a second. So if our heart follows our treasure and our mouth speaks from our heart, in other words, the scariest part about all of this to me is the realization that every single careless word that I speak out is really pointing to where my treasure is. Every careless word that I speak out is really just an indication of how much evil is still left in my heart, of how much I have still neglected God, and run after things of the world. You want to see somebody with a pure mouth? What you will find is someone that has a pure heart and their treasures God Almighty Himself. Someone with filthy, rotten, destructive speech, someone who still has the world left in Him. Jesus says, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
Proverbs 12, 18, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do you treasure words of life or words of death? Are blessing and peace and joy, encouragement and love in the mind and in your heart? Or are words of discord and curses and criticism and hate? Oh God, forgive me, cleanse me. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What a wonderful thought that God who rules over all and in all, the creator of all the earth, might be affected by what we do. God is all-powerful, and yet our actions affect Him. See, the Holy Spirit's grief is not that He's petty. He's not oversensitive. He just needs to get over it. No, this is a perfect, holy, just God. Of course, sin everywhere must be displeasing to Him, but sin in His own redeemed people is grievous to Him in the highest degree. That the redeemed, the ones that he died for, his precious blood he spent and poured out for us for the forgiveness of sin, and yet we still go back into those old ways. Charles Spurgeon said, I think I now see the Spirit of God grieving when you are sitting down to read a novel, and there is your Bible unread. Perhaps you take down some book of travels and you forget that you have got a more precious book of travels in the Acts of the Apostles and in the story of the blessed Lord and Master. You have no time for prayer, but the Spirit sees you are very active about worldly things and having many hours to spare for relaxation and amusement. And then he is grieved because he sees that you love worldly things better than you love him. You know, there is remarkable parallel between lying and stealing and unwholesome talk back in Ephesians chapter 4 and the verses surrounding what we're looking at this morning. But Paul is urging us to be a blessing with whom we have daily contact with. He's, he's telling us and urging us that we need to refrain from our lies, that we need to stop stealing from the world. We need to, we need to build each other up with our speech. Why? Because that we can point others to Christ in the way that we walk, not as Gentiles. Verse 17. See, Christianity is not merely a don't religion. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. As followers of Christ, we really should be emulating the example that Jesus has set for us, that we'd be speaking out words that are filled with grace. And guess what? As Jesus spoke the words of grace, the multitudes were amazed. That's the example that we have through the Gospels. As Jesus spoke with grace, grace, the multitudes were amazed by him. That's the opportunity we have. Walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Bitterness, Aristotle described that word as the resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Colossians 3.19, same word. Do not allow a resentment a resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation to even exist in your mind. Wrath, that's an outburst of the moment. Anger is a settled disposition. Both must be put away, Psalm 37.8. Clamor is a loud outburst. It's a cry oftentimes done publicly. Really, it's quite akin to people shouting in anger at the same time you might think of a protest or at least as some people call them protests today, which is really riots. 
That is what clamor means in the Greek. Slander, speaking injuriously of another, defaming or blaspheming another's good name. Malice is evil or wickedness. Crucify these actions and walk these out. Verse 32, be kind, tenderhearted. That means compassionate or having strong bowels is literally how it translates into the Greek. The, the, the bowels was the seed of emotions. So if you have strong bowels, it's this, this picture of really being caring for another person. He's saying, be moved in your bowels, moved in your spirit. Have a, have a stomach ache for the hurts of someone else. Put on kindness and compassion. Be forgiving. But see, the key takeaway from these last two verses for me is this last phrase. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Firstly, we need to understand that it's done. Forgiveness is already done. And in order for us to be able to forgive others, we need to understand that God has forgiven you of all your sin. Spurgeon again said, get hold of this grand truth and hold it. Though all the devils in hell roar at thee, grasp it with a hand of steel. Grip it as for life. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven me. May each one of us be able to say that. I don't ever want you to question that God's forgiveness has already been poured out, that you walk renewed by the Holy Spirit because of His precious blood that has washed you clean. Secondly, it's because we understand that and walk in that forgiveness that we are therefore mandated to forgive others. How is it that you cannot forgive your spouse whom you made a commitment to or your children or your mom or your dad or your boss or whatever when God the Father forgave you in all of your muck and mire and wickedness? I'll tell you one thing. That a person that you are unforgiving toward, your sin makes you a whole lot closer to them than you are to God. There's this infinite scale. It's not like we've almost arrived. There's, you know, Hitler, there's Mother Teresa, and God's, you know, a few miles that way. If we could put it on a linear scale, but it's an infinite thing. He's infinitely perfect. He's infinitely holy. Don't believe that you've arrived, oh brother and sister. May we look to ourselves, and in that forgiveness that day that we bow our knees and we look at the cross and we're thankful for all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, may we be able to extend that same forgiveness over the less severe things and sins of those around us. Matthew 6.14, Jesus says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I want you to be reminded this morning that our words count. The words that we say to one another, if the worship team wants to come up, we're going to close out with the time at the altar. The words that we say to each other can be a powerful force for good. They can be a powerful force for evil. While they're coming up, I want you just to close your eyes if you can, put off distractions, and think about perhaps your life as a child, those influential people around you, 
influential positively or negatively? What words did they speak over you? How did it affect you? Did you hear things like loser, worthless, stupid? Or did someone build you up and make you feel valuable and worthwhile? That's the power of speech this many years later. Some of you 10, 20, 30, some of you 50 years, 60 years, I don't know how old you all are. You can remember those words that were spoken to you as a young adolescent, can't you? That's the power of our tongues. See, these memories may either bring smiles, they may cause pain, but your words, I'll remind you this morning, have the same effect on people around you, especially on children and youngs, young ones. Take a, a mental inventory of your speech. I want to just open up the altar as we're going to go into a song. I want to just invite anyone up. You can do this from your chair, that's fine. I want you just to ask God, say, God, are there things that are unclean? Are there parts of my life that need cleaning up in the way that I talk? Talk to my spouse, talk to my children, whoever. Do my words build up? Do they put a roof over others? Or are they tearing down and leaving holes? See, with God's help, I believe that we can commit to being a kind person who can encourage and edify others. I believe that as we put away sin from our presence and as we begin to forgive others as Christ forgave us, that others will begin to see Christ Jesus and will run to Him. That just by simply doing these couple of little simple things of changing the way that we talk, others will see Christ Jesus in us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would be able to tame our tongues. Lord, if we know that it's a, a reckless wild left in the hands of sinners, but Father, you came to set us free from the bondage and slavery of sin. So we're asking for the Holy Spirit's help. Help to control our tongue and our speech. Lord, I ask that you would help us to speak blessings and point others to Christ, to build each other up, Father, to edify each other. Lord, and I pray that as we put away all of our anger and outburst and clamor and all of these evils, Father, and be able to forgive each other and act kind and tender-hearted towards them, Father, they will see and experience your love, your forgiveness to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar's open. If you want to come and get your heart right, again, you can do it from where you are.